How are believers to conduct themselves in a society that is struggling to be civil in uncertain times? Hi, this is Him We Proclaim with Dr. John Fonville. We're continuing our series called Models of Good Citizenship, and today is part two of a message called The Purpose of Modeling Good Citizenship. Scripture is clear that Christians are to model good citizenship for the purpose of facilitating the gospel. Let's turn in our Bibles now to Titus 3 for a biblical example. Here's John Fonville. And so Paul is underscoring the importance of obedience to the Roman government, the Roman state, to dispel any possible misconception that the gospel provides a license for the Cretan churches to rebel or disobey the governing authorities. Now, as I said, Paul's exhortation to obey governing authorities raised some important questions in our minds, particularly for Americans, because we, li- we don't live under a Roman form of government. We have a democratic republic. We are called to be engaged in government. American citizenship, either for believer or unbeliever alike, involves these things, paying taxes, voting, Debating issues, grassroots politics, and civic activism. Citizens in a democratic republic are free to criticize officials. And they're free to work to change laws to make them more just in our society. American citizens, both believers or unbelievers, they can mobilize for pro-life causes. They can speak out against and denounce moral and social evils like abortion, infanticide, racism, human slave trafficking, which I've worked with in in, uh, Cambodia, Uh, genocide. We can speak out against these things, and we should, and we should condemn them squarely and work as citizens in our vocation to change these things and make a more just society for everybody to live in. Christians as American citizens can run for local school boards. They can campaign for state and federal offices, participate in peaceful demonstrations, vote for candidates who best reflect their beliefs. They can form PACs, political action committees. All of these things are simply acting in one's vocation as a citizen in a democratic republic called the United States of America. And listen to this. Even the visible church as an institution, as a place, can have a prophetic voice in denouncing moral evils, slavery, abortion, genocide, racism, sex trafficking, as I had mentioned. These are not political issues. These are moral issues. And the church can speak against these things as a place, not just as a people. But here is the distinction that we have to keep in mind. We must not confuse the spiritual work of the gospel in the visible church with the political arm of the state. Is that clear? Let me try to help you. Christian political activism falls under the vocation of national citizenship in the United States of America. It does not fall under the vocation of faith in the visible church. Let me say it like this. We must not turn the visible church, which is happening right now, into a political action committee. We must not turn the visible church into a political party. The visible church is not a part of the federal government's legislative branch. 
When the vestry of our church meets together as the leadership of our church, it is not the place where federal laws are debated, made, and passed at Paramount Church. (laughs) Right? We cannot confuse the mission of the visible church, which is Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, the Great Commission, the spiritual work of the church, the pure preaching of the gospel, the pure administration of the sacraments, and church discipline. We must not confuse this mission with the political arm of the state. Simply put, the church is not a department of the state. Now, if you'd have been back in the 16th century, where you had a Rastian doctrine, the church was a department of the state. And if you were a heretic, you got you burnt at the stake. <laughs> and I am very glad that we don't have a Rastian doctrine anymore. But the church is not a department of the state. The church, listen, the visible church is a place where we preach the gospel, administer the sacraments, and enact church discipline for all people, regardless of any political party or nation or race or creed or any of that. Listen, the church, the gospel must not get wrapped up in a flag. It's a huge problem in our country. Believe me, I'm very patriotic. We were waving our American flag, shooting fireworks. I was praising our military. I love the Blue Angels. I've gone every single year for 16 straight years since I moved here to the Blue Angels uh, air show. I love the military. I have lots of families in the military. I'm as patriotic as you're going to get, right? Love it. But we're not going to do that on Sunday morning, That's not the place and purpose for the church. The visible church is a place. The gift, listen very carefully, the gift of the gospel is not the gift of American culture. The visible church is to be known for the gospel, not a political party or a single nation state. Christ's church is an embassy on earth with ambassadors, me, ordained ministers who are ambassadors representing Jesus, the King of Kings, with his message. I'm not an ambassador for the U.S. Department of State. I'm an ambassador for the King of Kings with a gospel message sent to represent as an embassy on earth for this, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This is why the visible church is not to hold 4th of July civic ceremonies pawned off as a worship service. It's a confusion of the vocation of citizenship with the vocation of faith. This confusion, if you want to popularize it, this is how I call it. It's called the Star-Spangled Banner Gospel. All right? What is the Star-Spangled Banner Gospel? It is idolatrous civic religion has no place in the visible church. Christians engaged in political activism falls under the vocation of citizenship, not the vocation of of faith in the visible church. And when you confuse these two separate vocations, it adversely affects the church's evangelistic efforts in gospel mission in the world. Why? Because when Robert Jeffress goes on certain news channels and advertises Celebrate Freedom Sunday... Right, and has one political party, and the choir is singing Battle Hymn of the Republic, 
right? And they're shooting fireworks off in there, a great big worship center. What message does that send to about, what, 45% of our entire population in America? You're not welcome here, and the gospel is not for you. It destroys the church's mission to unbelievers. And chapter 3, verse 8 of Titus says, when you do this, you're not profiting your neighbor as the church. And so as I mentioned at the beginning of this message, Paul feared that the churches of creed might become embroiled in political agitation and bring the gospel under submission. The problem in the first century church continues to be a problem in the 21st century church. Michael Horton has written a wonderful book, and I would just encourage all of you to spend time reading. It's called The Gospel Commission. It's about the mission of the visible church. And listen to what he says. He says, when the church turns to policy prescription, it enters the realm of the properly coercive exercise of legal power. The spiritual sword of the word and spirit become confused with the temporal sword of state, pontificating on matters beyond his expertise and authority. The church actually loses that considerable spiritual authority that it has to address the world in Christ's name as his official embassy. He's exactly right. Paul's concern is that the Cretan believers were in danger of capitulating to the immoral pressures of Cretan's culture and succumbing to these ungodly ethical norms would damage the church's distinctiveness and gospel mission in society. In other words, the church would begin to sound and look just like the world that they're living in, that they've been saved from to be different in. And the same is true in our day as well. It is easy for us to watch certain news channels of a particular persuasion and begin to listen to that rather than to listen to Christ in his gospel to inform us on how we're to view our neighbor. God's law, not Fox News or CNN or MSNBC or CBS or ABC or, or any of these news channels or newspapers or news outlets, God's law and gospel informs how we view and love our neighbor, not news. Do you get it? God's law tells us that your neighbor is not your enemy. They are your, look, neighbor who is to be loved and given the gospel to be brought into Christ's kingdom. I know these things are hard to swallow, and I know that this is the elephant in the room, but we need to learn, just like these first century Cretan believers needed to learn in Rome, in this Roman government system, how to live as believers who have dual citizenship, citizens of the kingdom of God and citizens of the kingdom of this earth, which in our case is a democratic republic in the United States of America. It's not Rome. God through Paul in this letter, calls on believers to be models of something very different in the civic arena. Listen to what one New Testament scholar says about Paul's uh, exhortation here. He says, in the civic arena, Christians are to be res- as responsible as the best citizens. He says, look, where believers more generally come into contact with other people, they are to embody the highest ideals of human virtue, as they imitate the pattern of behavior embodied by Christ himself. 
I want to finish with this this morning. Paul's exhortation to us to submit to and obey government authorities is important. It is important for us to remind ourselves of the scope of the gospel. So let me just back up to uh, the second millennium BC from Oman and go way back. Uh, sometime in the early second millennium BC, in ancient Mesopotamia, God, the Lord, Yahweh, appears to a pagan, idol-worshiping Gentile called Abram, who he changed his name to Abraham. And he made an unconditional, unilateral promise to this pagan, idol-worshiping Gentile. He says in Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, he says, all the nations... Now, when you hear nations, don't think a nation state like America, Egypt, you know, uh, the UK, Russia, think people groups, all distinct people groups. He says, all the nations, people groups will be blessed in you. And so from that moment forward, all of world history is related to the promises that God makes to Abraham. The Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, quotes Genesis chapter 12, verse 3, and he calls the Lord's promise to Abraham, listen, the gospel beforehand, that is the gospel and promise, the Abrahamic covenant, it was the gospel in the Old Testament until Christ came. It was the good news proclaimed to the nations, to the people groups of this world. And so from the very beginning, the Abrahamic covenant declared the gospel, the Lord's saving grace to the nations, to all people. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says that Jesus is the promised offspring of Abraham, through whom the Lord's promise to Abraham, through whom the promised blessings would come to all the people groups of the world. And so the Abrahamic covenant, people say, well, you know, theology doesn't matter. Covenant theology. No, covenant theology matters because when you understand how the covenants work, you understand the story of the gospel. And so the Abrahamic covenant teaches us that the scope of the gospel is universal, that the gospel, listen, Revelation chapter 5, verse 9, the gospel is for people of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. It's the Abrahamic covenant. That's Genesis 12, 3. The gospel, listen carefully, is transnational. The gospel is transcultural. The gospel spans all time, places, and peoples. I have preached the gospel in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. I have preached the gospel in Seoul, South Korea. I have preached the gospel in Havana, Cuba. I have preached the gospel in Dublin, Ireland. I have preached the gospel in Mahrafeld, Northern Ireland. And in all of these different places, in different cultures, in different government systems, the gospel remained the same wherever I went. And it was totally relevant to all those different people groups. The new covenant that we live under today is simply the new administration of the Abrahamic covenant. And so therefore the gospel that we preach under the new covenant continues declaring the Lord's saving grace to all people. That's what Pentecost was all about. 
So listen carefully. In contrast to the false star-spangled banner gospel that is being palmed on the evangelical church in America for Christianity, there is the true gospel that declares God's grace to the nations. The true gospel tells us that the saving grace of God is for people of every race and tribe and nationality. In their book, Sacred Bond, Michael Brown and Zach Keels, a fantastic book, they comment on the importance of the Abrahamic covenant for the Christian life. This was such a profound paragraph, I just had to take it out and I wanted you to listen to it. The Abrahamic covenant, the gospel, both in the Old Testament and now in the New Covenant, New Testament. Listen, God promised Abraham that he would become a light to the nations, and indeed, that has come to pass. It is because of God's promise to Abraham that the apostles were sent as Christ's witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, not just for the Jews, listen, but in all Judea, but also in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, Acts 1.8. And by the way, the end of the earth in Acts 1.8 is us sitting here in America today. That's us. It is because of God's promise to Abraham that Christians are black, white, Asian, Hispanic, and more. The Christian faith is not a Northern European faith. It's not a Semitic faith. It is an international, global faith in which there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, Galatians 3.28. And then they say this, in a world that is typically segregated by our cultural identities, consumer preferences, and political affiliations, the doctrine of the Abrahamic covenant shows us that the church as it is gathered throughout the world, is, quote, 1 Peter 2, 9, a chosen race. That is your race. A people, listen, a royal priesthood. Listen, a holy nation. You're citizens of two kingdoms, two nations. A people for his own possession, Nothing but the gospel can create a community like this one. As we finish this morning, I want to just draw your attention back to the Apostle Paul for a moment as we think about this. Everything in the Apostle Paul's life, even his Roman citizenship, was done in service to the gospel. We see throughout the book of Acts how he used his Roman citizenship not just for his personal safety, but for the advancement of the gospel mission to the Gentiles. Paul was, listen, he was a model Roman citizen. And he called on these believers in Crete to be models of good citizenship as well. And let us not forget that the same Roman government that Paul exhorted the Cretan believers to submit to and to obey is the same Roman government that ultimately put him to death. He was executed by the command of Nero. And thus, while Paul was a model Roman citizen loyal to his state, he was a citizen of Christ's kingdom, and he had a greater loyalty to the king of kings. 
he would often in his letters seize upon the Roman Empire as a fit symbol of the kingdom of heaven. Listen to what he wrote to the believers in Philippi. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. He says, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he himself is able even to subdue all things to himself. As, as a citizen of Rome, Paul also lived as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And he did not place his hope and his faith for the future in the power of Rome. He placed his hope and faith in the coming consummation of Christ's kingdom, as he says here, in the resurrection. When the king of kings, would, who was now enthroned in heaven would return to earth as the rescuer of his people and the judge of all. That's where he placed his hope and faith. So I want to close this morning, and we're finished, with the words of one of my professors, Dennis Johnson, who wrote a fabulous article. And this is what he says, although it may feel like needless tardiness to suffering saints, and many of the people in our country now who are believers and unbelievers are suffering injustices, crimes of all sorts. And our, our culture is going through a very difficult time now. But listen to what Dr. Johnson writes about Christians. He says, although it may feel like needy tardiness to suffering saints, in fact, the timing of the coming consummation sovereignly decided by the Father and known only to him is determined by his gracious resolve to redeem all his elect among all the peoples of the earth. God's patience in determining the moment of his Messiah's return and the consummation of his kingdom is motivated by his resolve to keep his promise to Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, bringing blessing to all of his elect among every nationality to the end of the earth. He says this, when everyone whose name is inscribed in the Lamb's book of life has been drawn by the Spirit to trust in the Son, then at last, and at just the right time, God will send Messiah Jesus to consummate the kingdom, bringing the times of refreshing and the error of total restoration the prophets foretold and for which we still long. Until then, Christ's church heralds the good news of our risen, reigning, and returning king to every ethnic group, calling all to repentance and faith as we eagerly anticipate, and he quotes Titus 2, verse 13, as we eagerly anticipate the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the consummation of his rule in the new heavens and earth. And that is of hope that we have as believers in the church who are members of the kingdom of God, citizens of a greater kingdom to come. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have a victorious, conquering king who is now seated at your right hand in authority, reigning over the nations, all the people groups of this earth. 
And we thank you that you've given to your church, your embassy on earth, the mission to proclaim the saving grace to all people so that through this proclamation of your gospel, it may go forth and the saving grace of God may go forth to all people so that your mission will be accomplished. And we thank you that our returning king has promised to return again to consummate his kingdom, to make a perfect society on this earth in the resurrection where truth and righteousness dwells, where justice is always served and no injustice is ever found ever again. And we thank you that we have the hope of our reigning king who will come not to crush his people as a tyrant, but to bless his people as a loving father to vindicate them and to set them free, to love and serve one another and to love and serve their great King. And so as the Apostle John prayed, so we pray today, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We ask this in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Thanks, John. The message you just heard is called The Purpose of Modeling Good Citizenship, part two. More from the series coming up next time. The mission of Him We Proclaim is to bring you the gospel of good news each weekday. And it's our prayer that your heart will be filled with joy and a clear understanding of the gospel and God's word. If you want to hear a past broadcast, check out our podcast in iTunes or download our app. Just search for Dr. John Fonville in iTunes or Google Play. Him We Proclaim is a broadcast of Dr. John Fonville. If you would like to visit Pastor John's church in Jacksonville, Florida, you're always welcome. You can find out more at ParamountChurch.com. Thanks for listening and join us next time.